Nutrition is remarkable in its ability to have people with completely opposite views saying they have science to support completely opposite views. Frustrating, isn't it? What are we supposed to believe? Welcome to Dynamism Biohacker. My name is Dr. Matt Hammett, wellness and nutrition expert, lifestyle trainer, and movement enthusiast. And each week, I'm going to share with you how to make the right nutritious choices despite conflicting expert opinions, where I help you to discover how to unlock your inner aborigine or your inner greatness. Thank you for spending this time with me today. So let's get into the training. The tale of the old man and the butterfly. Once upon a time, a small opening appeared on a cocoon attached to a twig on an oak tree. And an old man sat and watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled through that little hole. And after a while, it seemed to stop making any progress. It appeared as if it had got as far as it could, and it could not go any further. The old man, realizing the tiny creature was struggling, decided to help the butterfly. And he took out a Swiss army knife, which had a tiny pair of scissors, and opened the cocoon. And the butterfly then emerged easily from the cocoon. But it had a withered body, was tiny, and had shriveled wings. And the man continued to watch because he expected that at any moment the wings would open, enlarge, and expand to be able to support the butterfly's body and become firm. The old man sat and waited, but nothing happened. Eventually, the tiny shriveled butterfly disappeared in the brush leaving the old man wondering if that butterfly's wing would ever unravel. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life wiggling around with a withered body and shriveled wings. It never was able to fly. What the old man, in his kindness and in his goodwill, did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening were nature's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Sometimes struggles are what we need in our life. If God allowed us to go through our life without any obstacles, it would cripple us. We would not be as strong as we could have been. The art of living life without fear and the ability to confront all obstacles, believing that you can overcome them, is a lifelong journey. And there are timeless strategies filled by various personal development programs and self-help books that can help us along the way. And I believe that the tale of the old man and the butterfly is the most important lesson because it illustrates a deep psychological and spiritual awareness for the need of struggle for any organism to adapt, survive, and evolve into a greater species. You know, at this point in our 
evolutionary period, we are at a crossroad. We are met with a struggle like nothing before, and despite all the attention shed on health, exercise, fitness, diet, and the miracles of modern medicine, during the last few decades, our economy is experiencing a drastic increase in all chronic illnesses. And that leads me to the next dynamism biohack, Awaken the Giant Within. Dynamism is the enthusiastic quality or charism that dynamic people possess that characterizes them by their vigorous action and progress. They step outside that it's genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach into what I call true health. This is the health class your doctor doesn't know, the wellness prevention and health promotion solution, how to get and stay well for a lifetime. That's dynamism. The chronic illness plague is expanding over 80% of our planet per capita. And these conditions go across all geographical demographics, including cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, osteoarthritis, depression and anxiety disorders, dementia, autoimmune issues, acid reflux, infertility, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, constipation, decreased, decreased sex drive, and so on. Yet the great news is that the new science continues to demonstrate that most of these illnesses are preventable and are not genetic, as the cliche has been the message so long perpetuated in the mainstream media. The answers do not lie with more powerful drugs and robotic surgeries. Our lifestyle choices and our environment determine whether or not we will express health or sickness most of the time. The science of epigenetics summarizes this relationship between the environment and our genetic expression. And I'm going to continue to shed light on this new saga throughout this training. But for now, I want you to understand that I resonate with stories of struggle. I wasn't always this kind of dedicated practitioner. I spent the first formative years of my practice as a clinician the way most physicians practice, chasing symptoms, convincing myself that I was trying to get to the core cause. And for me, it was specializing primarily in back and neck pain. It wasn't until tragedy sunk in and woke me up where I realized, as a chiropractor, I do have the potential to save human lives and reverse chronic disease. I've already talked briefly about my awakening in previous show, but the awakening is the name I refer to when I share my personal story of struggle with these concepts and these trainings. My father suffered and eventually died of prostate cancer, which eventually spread and metastasized throughout his body. Our family suffered helplessly. My brother and I watched my parents from a distance because we were both college graduates and married at the time. We watched them spend their life savings on cancer treatments that didn't work. It forced my mother, who was reaching retirement age, back to school to get her master's degree so she could receive a pay raise to help pay the medical bills. It turns out that she is not the only one. Most bankruptcies in America 
happened due to stories like that of my parents or the business of cancer and chronic illness. The cost of this disease was only part of the problem. A few months before my dad's diagnosis, he lost his older brother to a terrible brain tumor, my uncle. In fact, the weekend before my uncle died, I was at a Tony Robbins seminar sneaking away during the event in tears outside in the hallway. One of the employees of the event spotted me and came over to console me, asking me what was wrong. Now, this was all happening during a highly energetic, motivational moment in the seminar. And I didn't want to ruin it for others, so I tried to step away. I simply didn't feel like jumping in, smiling, when in the back of my mind, I was worried about my uncle. Even though it was impossible for me to help my uncle, I was upset that I couldn't help him. And it also reminded me of the fate that is awaiting him with his fight against cancer. Hardship was an early ongoing saga our family seemed to struggle from years before. More on that later, but the habits of expecting the impossible appears to be ingrained in me. I'm not sure how. My dad came from a very hardworking farmer's family. They are a proud family of entrepreneurship. Even though my parents did not raise my brother and me on a farm, My grandparents owned and worked the farm, raising pigs, soybeans, and corn. I witnessed the expression that you've never worked a day in your life unless you farmed, to be an accurate statement, let me tell you. And unfortunately for my family, they used herbicides and pesticides. They were a big part of that revolution. And today, we have the addition of GMOs. And so far, most everyone from my family that grew up on that farm has acquired cancer or some other serious chronic disease. That farm today is pretty much owned and operated by Monsanto. In fact, I am from DeKalb, Illinois, the headquarters of Monsanto. They bought the town for its corn breeding soil in the mid-1990s. My parents were hardworking, blue-collar people that didn't make more than $40,000 a year. Like most in my family, my Mother was a school teacher. Dad was a car salesperson. They tried their best for my brother and me, their two surviving children. But life for us was most difficult. They swear they never needed government assistance, but we were always on the brink of it. And before my father died, he shared with me a troubling confession. My eldest brother, who died when he was six, actually died from Ray's syndrome. Ray's syndrome was a terrible disease that killed children after taking aspirin or having a vaccination. It was rampant in the late 1960s and early 1970s. My dad believed that he'd given him an aspirin. Mom thought maybe a virus or a vaccination. We never fully found out why he died. For my dad's reality, he felt he was the reason his firstborn was dead. And he lived with that guilt all his life. You can imagine what my dad must have been like the rest of his life. Unable to be fully present again. He was unable to love again fully. Although he gave his best and I appreciated him for that and love him for that. He was a brave man 
who gave everything he could for a very long time. I know that. I honor him for that. And I thank him for that. One of the last moments of my dad's life came when the medical doctor visited him at the hospital for the last time. This was before hospice. And they told him there was nothing more they could do. My dad raised his hand in the air and made a a hand gesture with his fingers, implying that it was taking too much money to keep him alive. I remember feeling helpless, witnessing this, looking at my family, seeing the defeat, the pain in their eyes. My world was frozen. All I saw was my suffering dad's hand gesture and thought filled my head. What could I do? We all stood there helpless, broke, and unable to help, unable to ease the pain, unable to provide hope. We stood there as dumbfounded as the doctors who were reading his lab reports. Have you ever had a moment in your life where time stopped? A time where people in the room were talking, but you couldn't hear a thing because time seemed frozen where you knew total doom was about to approach, where your life forever was about to change, and there wasn't a thing you could do to stop it. Oh, I had such a moment. But for me, it went from violent urges of wanting to throw things out the window and images of seeing myself jump on my dad's chest in front of everyone screaming for my dad to fight, not to give up because I needed him. There I was only a few years into my marriage with a baby boy to care for, and I realized I would not have a father to ask life questions. I would not have a father to call in the middle of the night to ask the how-to. These feelings turned into anger. Anger at the doctors. Anger at the hospital. Anger at the media. Anger at the entire system. Then I was completely numb. I felt nothing. My mind suddenly calmed. I was no longer frightened. The light in the room seemed to turn up very high. I felt God at that moment. I don't know why I didn't scream at him. I don't know why I didn't ask why. But I felt him. In utter silence, I knew somehow Though I heard nothing, I just knew somehow that even though I could not save my dad from this moment on, I would find out how to help others. I felt this would be my new mission. It was an awakening. And opening up and speaking to others after my dad died, it seemed our culture has just accepted this kind of disease as normal, something we will all be facing But my grandmother would say when I was growing up, she never knew anyone who had cancer or heart disease or diabetes. It's those damn pesticides, she would say. Little did I know that hearing her say that all my life, every time someone from that farm got terminally ill or died, that health would become my lifetime focus. When my dad died, I was working as an associate doctor and continued doing that to give myself time to heal. I was also struggling along as a new parent. When I was struck by something worse than my dad's death, 
It was only one in, year and a half later, and my second child was only two weeks old at the time. We were going to get her baptized. I drove alone over to the hotel to pick up my mom, who had spent the night there. I was going to pick her up to take her to the church. When I arrived at her room, I found paramedics and an ambulance. I ran to the room only to see her half sprawled off the bed and half on the floor with the telephone in her hand, and she was trying to call for help. And no one there wanted to help her because she had been dead for hours. I remember sitting in that hotel lobby, like the time had frozen again, thinking to myself, how am I going to raise my children without help from my parents? I later learned she died from a tear in her heart, which caused her to bleed to death, a heart attack. She had gained a tremendous amount of weight after my dad had passed away and was suffering from depression. I knew her health was declining, and we spoke about it the night before she died. But a heart attack? Never saw it coming. You know, looking back at that night, I guess I suppose I, I should have seen the signs clearly. You know, somehow she knew her life was coming to an end. And that night we talked about dad. I showed her a rough copy of Inspired Chiropractic, our first book, because it was a promise I was fulfilling to my father when he asked why I wasn't writing a few moments before he died. And during his last breath, before mom died, I wiped away his last tear. And I looked at my mom and him and promised that someday I would write a book. I promised him that I would find out why we cannot beat cancer and disease. I promised him that I would spend my life figuring all this out and teach it to people so they don't have to suffer the way he had. My mom, well, she brought that up to me the night before she died. In fact, I haven't even spoken about this with anyone, including my wife. And this moment was surreal. Even... When we were talking about it the night before she died, somehow I knew she would die soon. In fact, that evening I gave her a second hug before I left the hotel to go home. Something pulled me back in. It was an extra long hug. Something I'd never given her before. I look back at this moment and it seems dreamy, cloudy. It appears to be a magical moment. I wanted to share with her the brainstorm for the first book I was writing to honor dad. When we were talking, mom said something else. She said she knew she would see me write a book. She said she also knows I will one day be a great speaker, even have my own radio show. Now, I must be honest with you. I'm not a great speaker, and radio until that moment was never even a figment of my imagination. I've never spoken to anyone larger than a handful of people. I still don't have any desire to become a speaker. I prefer speaking to you in this way, the radio. But she told me that one day I would become one. She said that I had a unique gift. She said that I had an ability to reach deep into the hearts of people to inspire them, to help them change. She told me that when I was away at college, she would see old friends and acquaintances of mine. She said they would often speak to her about an old story that involved me where I had helped them. And I looked at my mom putting this off and I said, look, mom, everyone says stuff like that, mom. She boldly looked at me and said, no, these stories are usually sharing involve some significant event in their life. And somehow I was there at the right time with the right words and just the right way. And she assisted that they would tell her that 
He was the only person in the world in that moment, my life, that could help me. My mom said, I was God sent. Matthew means gift of God, she would say. Of course, what mom wouldn't say that about their child? Now, I'm only sharing with you what my mom's vision of me was. And you can develop your own vision. Of course, I do hope to inspire you. I hope that somehow my program, my books, and my practice and this show inspires you to be better for a lifetime. And one month after the tragedy of my mom, my grandmother was having a problem. So checked into a hospital, they decided to explore her lungs, puncturing one, and eventually killed her. This ruined me. My three best friends dead. As you can see, my passion for life was gone. My passion for my profession was gone. But all I would obsess about, all I could think and breathe about, was to find the cure so that no one else had to suffer the way my family did and the way I am right now, alone, without them. Now, I wasn't alone at the time. My wife and I had two kids at the time. Now we have four kids. But when your parents so tragically close together, your heart fractures. And all I wanted to do was to discover how to cure cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and prevent medical mistakes. I wanted to make my mother and father's memory matter. I wanted to fulfill my promise to them that I would find the solution and teach it to others, even though I knew I would never find a cure out of a test tube or scientific analysis. I knew I could find ways to prevent, maybe reverse it. Never getting it in the first place was the cure. I was prepared for this new quest. I even quit my job as an associate and went to work in my wife's office so I could soul search and make a career change if necessary. If I discovered in my quest that the Western medical paradigm was correct, I would quit chiropractic and begin medical school. As you can see, that never happened. My wife and I still practice together. Instead, after rigorous research and learning that the medical profession had no clue in treating chronic illness, I switched focus from the prevailing sickness disease paradigm into the health prevention paradigm. I discovered that over 86% of the evidence in Western-based modern medicine comes from rats and animals, none of it human. I also realized many other scientists felt rat research was not the basis for understanding humanity. I would later be outraged when scientists would be fired or threatened if they did not go along with this trillion-dollar paradigm, rat science. The scientific evidence they have is not based on real evidence. Listen, I've been called a quack and a pseudoscientist for practicing chiropractic care, yet I wasn't the one dissecting rats and formulating drugs for humans from rat research. The tools they used to help humans were fashioned from the physiologies of rats, mice, and other animals. None of it human. This epiphany would soon guide me in the discovery of lifestyle medicine, epigenetics, and the ancestral health movement. I wanted to learn about the human studies, human health indicators, not just based on animals. I realized in this self-discovery, I simply felt that cures from rat research would never be attainable for humans. For me, studying disease based on animals is the wrong paradigm. For me, I needed to discover the preventive solution based paradigm. However, 
I would see issues with that. Nutrition is also recommended from rat science. To top that off, no one seemed to make sense about getting to the cause of the problem. To blunt, many medical doctors who treat symptoms believe they are prescribing drugs to get to the cause of the problem. I realized no one was doing health restoration. No one was doing health promotion. The dictionary does not even define healthology because the sickness crisis drug industry is populated by disease pathology, not human health promotion and human health restoration. Health promotion and health restoration, as I see it, are where the cure is attainable for some and preventable for most. I discovered that the cure does not lie with drugs or surgery. Most cancers, heart diseases, diabetes, obesity, and the like are preventable and reversible. When I discovered this, I discovered a new calling for my life and practice. And for the people who come into contact with our office out of here in Northwest Indiana, I think it will change the way they view life and disease so they can participate in health because health is a fruit that is grown and earned. The five pillars of a dynamic health will radically transform your belief system and empower you and your family to live a life of health restoration and health promotion. The new model will keep you disease-free the way God intended us to live. I realize that prevention is difficult, that it takes discipline. It takes a directive conscious choice, something our society is not willing to do. The culprit of that mindset comes from antiquated and outdated medical theory. Despite new evidence in human science, the vast majority of our doctors, pharmacists, nurses, and some chiropractors still live in a flat earth paradigm. They think it is genetic. The new evidence in human science is vast. We have entire new medical careers in the areas of human genetics, the Human Genome Project, the Human Microbiome Project, Anthropologist, Epigenetics, Functional Medicine, Proteomics, Genomics, Functional Neurology, and Nutrigenomics, just to name a few. But as long as you believe that the gene theory is the holy grail of life, then there's no reason to change the system. Look, an onion has five times the amount of DNA than a human. You are worth much more than an onion or a rat. It is your lifestyle choices due to the environmental influence washing over your DNA that causes genetic mistakes and spontaneous mutations. God did not do it. He's not capable of this. We have free will and the habit of making bad choices, don't we? This effect influences not only your genes, but also your children and their children. Who knows how far down our family's germline is affected by our poor lifestyle choices. If our culture continues to push the message that something is genetic, then there's no reason to press the food industry to better quality controls, challenge genetically engineered foods, and even improve pharmacology. If you suppress the knowledge of a term called transgenerational epigenetic pharmacology mechanisms, which to date, we have only one peer-reviewed study on this topic. From this study, we learned that medications, pharmacology, may mutate our DNA, that we pass epigenetically the environmental gene interaction down multiple lines of our family. Of course, this study was pro-medicine, 
showing how in the future we can create drugs to change genes down multiple family generations, something called gene therapy or genetically engineered drugs. But the study was forgetting about the previous 150 plus years that we've been using these drugs without any understanding how they may have negatively influenced epigenetic mutations in our children's children, a field no one wishes to comment on. Dynamic people making a conscious choice don't have to be a part of the sick culture anymore. They are not ignorant of the truth. They don't believe that ignorance is bliss. They know that simplicity is bliss. I know this information will save lives, starting with yours. What you need to take away from this training is the fact that how you eat, think, move, connect, and cope with stressors like smoke, pesticides, herbicides, GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, plastic, and medications may affect your germline three or four generations down your bloodline. Your decision or indecision to listen and apply what you will learn from these trainings will have the impact to affect many generations from your bloodline. That's a fact. I hope you will make the right decision. I promise I will walk with you on this journey and teach you an easy way to make this journey easy. This is only my 25th show. I waited up to this point because to date, this show hit number four on iTunes for our, ca- our category. So I know you're listening, and I waited until more of you were listening until I caught your attention because from this point forward in this show, I'm going to get into the meat and potatoes. If you like this show up to this point, that was just a taste of the appetizer. You're, gonna, you're not going to find anything like this show anywhere. I've spent the last decade researching and preparing for this moment so that I can help more people lighten up, move better, and live fuller. If you are a current patient in our office, I love you. Thank you so much for your confidence in us. If you are not a patient, I certainly would love to meet you someday. Go to our website, newlifefamilychiropractic.net. And also, I just want to remind everyone that we got the same 24 hours in a day. I'm no busier than you are, but if your goal is to live a happier, healthier, and fuller life, You've got to learn to manage yourself. And that means managing your movement, which drives your energy. When we better manage our energy, we're better able to be more present and vibrant and enjoy our life. We're better able to manage our five pillars of a dynamic health. You deserve a life that is peaceful, that is balanced, that is happy, where you have tons of good health. The health that you need, the health that is on demand when you need it most. You see, because health doesn't come to you, it comes from you. It is a fruit that is grown and earned. And I know we all heard the genetic cliche, the blame it, name it, and tame it with a drug approach. But the truth is, the solution doesn't lie with more drugs and surgeries. The solution lies with you. You know it's not so much of a healthcare crisis as it is a self-care crisis 
in our world today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I love you. I love hearing from you. So don't forget to reach out to me. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Do so by whatever is your favorite social media platform. Send me a message there. Let me know that you listened to this episode and what you thought of it. And as always, I appreciate it in advance anyone who is kind enough to write a review. That is the ultimate gift. I appreciate you very much for that. I love spending this time with you. I'm Dr. Matt Hammett reminding you to lighten up, move better, and live fuller. Until next, Dynamism Biohack.